welcome back to the Bookshop Chronicles. My name is Brandy. It is nice to talk with you. Once upon a time, I ran a book truck, and now I run an independent bookstore in Edmonton, Canada. It is a very full and vibrant life running a bookstore. You meet the most incredible people. You read amazing stories. It is never dull, and there's always something new happening. So at the end of this podcast, I will tell you about some fun new things that are happening in our bookstore, but we'll get to that later. Okay, so for right now, I want to introduce my guest for today. He is amazing. His name is Peter Keith. He is the co-owner of Muley's. Muley's is an artisan food market right here in Edmonton. Actually, he's part of my 124th Street business community. So we're kind of neighbors, although we're, you know, too many blocks apart for my liking. So Muley's is a, a home of house cured charcuterie. They have all sorts of preserves and they're just, they are the place to go. One of my regular customers in the store swears by their signature sandwich. Okay, you ready for this? Here's what their signature sandwich is. It's called the Real Deal. Mortadella, salami, capicola with fort cheese, pickled peppers, tomatoes, and onions on a baguette. Everything is made in-house. Is your mouth watering? Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you were in the Edmonton area, head yourself on over to Muley's pretty darn quick. In the meantime, we are going to keep talking here. So I cannot wait for you to hear from Peter Keith because not only is he the co-owner of Muley's and he's involved in the public and he's partnering with the 124th Street Market, he is also a Red Seal chef and he is an avid reader who embraces the evolution of his reading life through many, many different seasons. So here you go, guys. Here is my conversation with Peter. Okay, so we are now officially recording. So, Peter, I am thrilled to have this conversation with you because you probably know how much I love the 124th Street Market, and you are now connected with them, but not just that. You have a whole lot going on. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Peter Keith, and um, I've just recently joined the team at The Public, which is of the parent organization of the 124 Grand Market. But also, I'm a co-owner of Muley's, which is just down the street from the farmer's market on 124 and 107th Ave here in Edmonton. And we are uh, kind of like a niche food market. We sell all kinds of local products. And we also make our own charcuterie and sausages and preserves and things like that. So a little bit of an old world product mix in kind of an upbeat modern atmosphere. And, you know, aside from that, my background is actually in cooking. I'm a Red Seal chef. So I spent most of my time in restaurants up until a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, between all these different things, um, sometimes I can squeeze in a book here and there, which is why I'm here. And I'm really excited to chat about that. But it's just been so interesting how my life has kind of become all these different layers of interests and activities. And, you know, my reading has actually kind of followed that. So I'm really excited to, to chat about that a little bit. That is super cool. I had no idea you were a Red Seal chef. Yeah, a few people know that now because uh, most of my time is spent behind a computer screen as we grow the business and, and as I get involved with the public here. But um, that's how I got into this is I was cooking and I always kind of wanted to open my own restaurant. And I thought that would be really exciting. How hard could it be, right? Being a small <laughs> business owner in uh, one of the least profitable industries there is. <laughs> so as things evolved over time, I kind of realized I want to work with food and I want to, I want to run a business. I want to work with a great team. I want to be involved in my community. And when the opportunity came to open New Leaves, all those things were in the right place and all kind of intersected. And now I get to do the same kind of thing with the public and we're, you know, looking to do it on an even larger scale, which is really exciting. Now, what does Muley's mean? Great question. Muley's is a name. It's actually the surname of my business partner's great-grandfather. Joe Muley was his name. He immigrated to Canada, and he was a, a butcher, I believe, in Switzerland. So, you know, we wanted, we needed a business name that meant something. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you went through this experience, too. Right. It's like, Definitely. you know, you're going to be asked about it. 
a million times, whatever it is you choose. So you want it to feel like a, an important story. You want it to be meaningful. And there were a lot of kind of hipster butcher shops opening up around the country at the time. So we didn't want to go that route. We wanted something a little more old world kind of, you know, a bit of a history to it. That's so cool. I was actually talking about you today as I was explaining to somebody about how we're planning to do book clubs and that kind of thing in the store. And I said, and I'm thinking that we're going to have some charcuterie and we're going to have some yummy local eats. And they got so excited. They said, where do you go for that? And I said, muleys. I just made sure that I said it very slowly because I didn't want to get it wrong. But I just think that would be so fun to offer our community because there is something especially unique about foods that are local, prepared and celebrated by somebody who really knows about good taste. Right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Just throw and some cheese on a board, but you guys know. I, well, and, and the fascinating thing about good taste is regardless, you can, you can, do all the training, you can have a PhD in food science, you can study in France for decades. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you prepare something or you recommend something to a five-year-old, they're probably not going to like it, right? And, and the, the subjectivity of taste, whether it's in food or in, you know, anything else in culture, really changes and, and evolves and continues throughout our lives. So what we really try to do is, you know, we look for quality, we look for product or a brand that stands for something and we look to help tell their story that's what it's all about and again you know that's, that's why i just love what you're doing here with this podcast and being able to just like like pull the curtain a bit and and show what goes on behind the door of a small business and we try to do that with all of the brands that we work with both at muley's and with the public and uh, the 124 market and so the public and 124th market, tell me a little bit about that collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm quite new to the team, but I'm really excited to be there. So Kirsta Frankie started the 124 gram market 10 years ago, um, you know, just like an, an ambitious, um, eager young entrepreneur with, with a goal. And a lot of people told her that's crazy. It'll never work. And I think she just kind of set out to prove that she could do it. And this market has grown and evolved and had so much success and really helped kickstart so many businesses, both food and artisans and you know, bookstores and all of these great businesses. So the public, I think, is, is kind of the next step in the evolution of this idea, which is how else can we support makers and producers and, and artisans? What kind of platform can we give them to grow and launch their business? So the public is going to run different markets around the community, but we're also just uh, finishing up construction of a kitchen facility that an entrepreneur can bring an idea to and kind of launch it from there, like, a, like truly a launch pad for a food product or a new brand or a new concept. So like really flexible kitchen rentals, which just don't exist in our community right now. So that's a game changer. And also all of the technical knowledge, all of the business expertise and the branding and all of those kinds of resources in the same room so that we can help these entrepreneurs achieve their goals. So it's, it's kind of like this progression of what started with the market. The vision behind it is just to support the community, to help grow exciting and, and, you know, delicious new food brands in Edmonton. And uh, now we're going to be able to do that on a much larger scale. That is extraordinary and i've no doubt like honestly i think that krista's vision is never limited to what she's doing right now the whole thing is always going to be bigger and what i love about this is market community more than any other that i've been with and i've traveled with the book truck all through central alberta the market community here is especially supportive of one another in ways that are so dedicated yeah Absolutely. They they build neighboring relationships with other vendors. They know each other. They shout each other out. There's something almost familial about it. Absolutely. I, I remember when I was in the first orientation, we joined two different markets in totally different parts of the city. And one of them was 124. So we went to the orientation and someone put their hand and said, well, can we put the walls on our tent? And 
Samantha, the market manager, said, well, you know what? We really actually don't want you to have the walls on your tent. We want you to make friends with your neighbors. We, wanna, we want you to get to know them. We want you to have those conversations and, and share ideas and share stories. And that's part of what makes this market so amazing. Now, this year with COVID, they've had to space everyone out a little bit, unfortunately. But you know, we're really looking forward to um, being back to normal next year and, and having everyone really up close and, and kind of rubbing shoulders and, and sharing stories and getting to know each other's amazing businesses. I sent an email to, to Sam a while back and I said to her that because I don't have the book truck at the market this year and I hear all of the people, all my friends who are like getting ready and they're securing their spaces and putting on their calendars. And, <laughs> and I said, I felt like I was no longer invited to the party and I was sitting on the sidelines because I miss the idea of being at that market so much. So yeah. I said, how can I still be involved? What can I do? <laughs> so <laughs> this podcast with you is a great connection so people can hear more about it. And I still get to feel as if I'm sort of a part of it and, and shouting out the market with the store on a regular basis. I think the network experiences that I got there have only grown. And if I can help any of them, even if I'm not there, I still want to do that because that community is so spectacular. That's so great. Yeah. And, and it's really rooted in helping the businesses succeed, right? I mean, no one decides to open a farmer's market um, to, to earn a profit. Like that's not why you get into this kind of business. It's because no. you're passionate and excited about giving this space and this platform to all of these other entrepreneurs. And I think that mentality carries beyond the day-to-day -day work of the market and it's really like a culture that they instill in everyone who takes part so it's so great to hear that you know you're going to keep in touch and stay involved i kind of went through the same feeling muleys couldn't really uh attend the market this year just due to our staffing situation and you know i did i the whole time i kind of felt like it's either like i'm forgetting something and i feel like okay i should be working on that why am i not working on that but then also when you walk through now and you see all these people it is kind of this a little bit sad like i wish we were here I until know. it's a rainy day but you know on the sunny days i really wish i was there <laughs> oh my gosh the rainy days yes <laughs> oh man i don't miss that but i do miss the the community experience and that outdoors feeling of having your your store whether it's at a table under a tent or a truck or whatever it looks like having your store out in the fresh air with other people doing the same thing market communities are such a special place and i think people have a very um, odd idea of what it takes to be at a market. I remember overhearing people because when you're in the truck, nobody knows you can hear them. And they walk by and they're like, oh, how hard could this be? I could just throw some stuff on a table. I could do this. And I was like, dude, no, you do not yeah, get it. These no guys idea. hustle. They work so hard. They have to bring everything here, set it all up, rain or shine. They're dedicated. Then they pack it all up and go home. You're already asleep by the time they are finishing. And that's just that's just once the product is ready to sell, right? I think that's the thing yeah. that um, people kind of they inherently understand and consider when they're choosing to go shop at a market. But sometimes in the little conversations, they're not really thinking about that as much. And and we love to be like a nice positive reminder of that. Is mm -hmm. you know, is is like help people get to know the product and whether like. You know, whether it's handmade jewelry or or handmade sausages or mustard or whatever, hey, here's how it's made. Here's how much time it takes me. Here's why I yeah. choose to do this. Because so often it is the business owner or or the artisan uh, or producer who's standing at the table, and you get to have that face time with them. And you know um, what is so rewarding and fulfilling is when whether like the whole family comes up. And the little kids say, oh, muleys, muleys, we love muleys. Mom, like, we need more bacon. And, you know, you don't, you just don't get that experience in a store. It's a little bit different in a no, store. No, you don't. And there is something incredible. When you can stand in front of the person who made that product, Yeah, that's incredible, right? That That is so why support local is a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm, oh, I love market life. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So now going back to what you were saying earlier about how all the different things that you've done in your life to lead you to Muley's and the public and everything that you're working on right now, 
your reading life has changed to reflect all the different seasons of your life. It really has. And, you know, even, I mean, well, we're, we're on a video chat right now. You can see the bookshelf behind me. This is just the to be read. And each shelf is like, each shelf is like a category or compartment of my life, you know? So down here, I've got the food books and some of them are really big. They're on the bottom shelf. They're heavy food books and magazines that I haven't cracked open yet. Um, and I've got like, like business strategy that's all down here that, you know, like those kind of feel like work, but I always get yeah. something out of them. And then I've got that like leadership and sort of the inspirational, <clears throat> you know, personal development kind of books, like the Brene Brown and stuff like that. And then the very top is like, this is my recreational reading. This is, you know, this is when I, when I know that it's time, like I need to reward myself. I need to give myself time to just sit down and, and crack open something that will, um, just really speak to me in that way. Those go on the top shelf and they're at eye level because I'm six foot four. So I can see them every time, every time I walk in the room and, you know, I'm always excited to think about which one I'm going to crack open next. And so that is kind of like how my day gets divided up too. Sometimes I'll be really focused on a food problem or a food opportunity and, and really have to be in that mindset. And then half an hour later, it's like, you know, you're diving into marketing and, and a business challenge and you're just kind of bouncing around like that. As you know, that's the life of a small yep. business owner, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're absolutely correct that when you break your reading life into those things, you do have to compartmentalize and think about them specifically so you can get the most out of it. Yep. But then when you're done, you have to move on to something else. You can't stay there too long. Yeah, exactly. I love that you've broken your shelves. And I can't help but notice that your recreational reading is much more full than your <laughs> other shelves. It is. <laughs> it is. But it took me, um, probably it took me a good year and a half to chip away at the like business stuff. So I just completed my MBA. And I don't know, I, I mean, five years, 10 courses per year. So Good 50 courses, <laughs> every, every time a professor in, in school of business recommended a book, I bought it. I just mm -hmm. decided that on, I, like the first time someone recommended something, I said, okay, I'll, I'll put that on my list. And, you know, usually I'd find a used copy or whatever. And the thing is, you know, I also have the $3,000 a year of textbooks that I had to try to crack open. So these yeah. kind of, um, these more, um, development or managerial type books they just kind of piled up and piled up and it wasn't until i finished my degree that i felt okay now i actually have time to start reading so there were probably yeah like 30 of them or more and i, I kind of like i alternate i do one of those and then I, I read one for me you know one for the business and one for me so to speak um but <clears throat> you know one of the things i that i thought was really key to who i am as a reader is like I made a decision a few years ago to go for quality over quantity and to seek out a good recommendation every time. And so I think my, you know, my um, literature shelf has really filled out because there's just so many incredible books coming out. Um, and, you know, my, my family are all big readers. My friends are big readers. And there's just so many things that I keep hearing about. And, you know, so whether it's a birthday, hey, you know what, here's my list. Like anything on here, I would I would be so happy to get I get a lot of uh, gift cards for bookstores and whatnot. So so it does pile up, and I think that's just such a great clutter to have. Like I will never, right? I will never feel guilty about having piles of books in my home. So my apologies to anyone around me who feels otherwise. But. I think that's one of the best terms I've heard. The great clutter, right? Yeah. It is. I mean, because yeah. it's everywhere, but also, oh, it's everywhere, right? Like exactly. there's something awesome about having stacks of books and they're just, every time you look somewhere, you're reminded of why you got it and why yeah. it has space in your home. Yep. Yep. And I, I grew up in a house, like an old kind of character home. It was built by an architect and it had these floor to ceiling cedar shelves in a couple of the rooms. And my parents just like they held on to books. I just grew up surrounded by books. So the thought of of buying one and then getting rid of it as soon as you've read it was just foreign to me until I moved mm -hmm. into a 700 square foot apartment and then I <laughs> had a wake up call. But uh, it, it, it was just how I grew up. And, you know, we use the library all the time as well. But it, it was kind of this idea that books are something 
that continue to give back as you hold on to them. And not many tangible things in life are like that. That is so true. That is a really good point. I, I think the fact that the nostalgia attached to books is not just the text on the page. It is sometimes the illustrations, the cover, who mm-hmm. gave it to you, the feelings you had, all the things that are wrapped up in this one thing. That doesn't go away, but it does grow and change over time. Absolutely. And Whereas I've, other things don't. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I've been given two different e-readers, both secondhand, and, and someone's like, oh yeah, here, you know, I don't use this one anymore. And I don't think I ever turn them on because I just, I love the story and, um, and just kind of the, the emotional memory that gets tied up in a book that you've read mm-hmm. and stayed on your shelf. It's true. I'm reminded of certain things when I hold a book. Sometimes it's the, the way the book cracks in my hand or the way the paper feels or sometimes the smell of it or something about where I got it. Or this smells yeah. like, oh, my grandmother's house. Oh, yeah, she had this book on her shelf. And <laughs> I hope it always holds the smell of her kitchen, like that kind of a thing. I think that, my absolute yeah, you're right. favorite of that kind of situation was opening it and finding a leaf. Like, because I was reading, you know, at the cabin and here's this leaf that, it's a tree that only grows on the west coast of, of Vancouver Island or whatever. And then here it is in this book. And then it just instantly takes you back to reading it in that exact plot. So cool. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, good luck, e-reader, bringing us that kind of experience. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. I mean, Amazon happen. will try. Amazon will, will try, but uh, I don't think it's Yes, they will. <laughs> yes, they will. So what are some books that stand out as... Um, some of your favorites are ones that you would definitely want people to know about. Yeah, well, I mean, we had a chat in your store a couple weeks ago, so I feel like you know this won't surprise you too much, but I have to talk about my sister's book briefly. Um, yes, what's, what's please so cool do. about it is I got to be part of the process. Like, you know, I, I got to see it all come together from the inception of a story to like a, a Harper Collins paperback on my shelf um, or, you know, seeing it at a, at a store. And so it's called The Dutch Wife. My sister's name is Ellen Keith, and it was her first novel. And it's uh, a World War II, um, you know, pretty heavy drama <laughs> story. And I think, you know, I think it really represents so many pieces of our family experience kind of coming together. So I, I just feel so fortunate to have been part of that in the tiniest way, to see my sister grow up just with her nose in a book all the time, constantly reading. I'm sure she read 75 to 100 books a year as a young kid or more. And I think by the time we were, like when I was seven or eight, she was writing a lot. Uh, my parents had an old typewriter in our basement and she was writing on the typewriter and, you know, she was, she was telling stories and she was journaling and all of this stuff. So she started her master's at UBC doing creative writing and you, you write a novel as your thesis. I mean, how incredible is that? And now every time I see the book on my shelf, I'm transported to Cape Town in South Africa in 2012 when Ellen and I were sitting in a hostel it was, it was pouring rain outside and we didn't want to go anywhere. So she said, well, I mean, you know, since we're not going to do anything, I'm going to work on this book idea. And so it started with what should I call the main character? And, you know, being part of some of these conversations with an author who, who went the distance and had it published and, you know, had it on the Canadian bestseller list was just like surreal to look back and think that I was there. Uh, but the other really cool thing about it is, it gave me the insight into how an author's uh, personal life and, and family story and all of that history can shape uh, a fiction. And in this case, a historical fiction, like my sister was, was born in the eighties, uh, but here she is writing this World War II novel and her own personal experiences are, are kind of coming into play. And that's not something I would have ever really thought much about before seeing that happen. So I wanted to, I just wanted to share that. I thought it was really unique. And she was able to dedicate this book to my grandmother who survived the war as a young girl in the Netherlands. So, um, you know, now my grandma is, is the talk of her uh, retirement condo, of course. Everyone's read it. There's 
copies being passed around. I'm sure a few people have asked for her autograph. And, uh, and so, yeah, just, I mean, it's such a unique opportunity. I don't know any other authors, um, this closely and seeing just how much, you know, personal emotion and, and personal story goes into something. It's just, it just makes me respect literature that much more. That's an incredible experience. I love that you also talk so admirably about her. That's that's so that's so winsome. I think well, that's brilliant. yeah. See, she's writing another one, so I'm kind of hoping I'll get the front page dedication this time. But <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, you know, we it, and again, it's like you know as, how I've changed as a reader. Um, I can say pretty much the same how our relationship as siblings has changed over time, where we, we just have so much respect for each other. We do completely different things in our day-to-day and in our work, but um, she lives in Holland, so when we are able to see each other in person, you know, it's just, it's, it's like nothing but mutual mutual admiration. And uh, I felt offensive, like when I would look at it on Goodreads and someone would, you know, leave a three-star, like I wanted to send them a message. You know, you know how much time was spent on this, man. <laughs> um, but and I, and she's the same way with me and my business ventures and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's yeah, I'm very fortunate the family that I inherited. <laughs> no kidding, readers and writers. There's no way that you could not be um, somebody who's passionate about books in a community like that. No yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big thing that changed for me was realizing that books are not you know they don't have to just be something to pass the time. So. As a teenager, again, growing up with all these books, you kind of, I would just grab whatever was there. Like, okay, this is on the shelf. I usually like historical fiction, you know, um, middle-aged sword fighting novels. Great. I'll try one of these and I'm sure it'll be fine and I'll be entertained by it and I'll finish it and start another one. And really when my sister started getting into writing and, you know, she was being taught at university by these award-winning Canadian authors. That was when it started for me. It's, okay, well, let me check out, let me check out this Joseph Boyden book, right? Let me, let me give these a try. And I think it happened at the right time in my life, kind of formative years, 18, 19, 20, that I just had this realization that this is a conscious choice to, to devote hours of your life to reading a piece of work. You should really pick something that's going to resonate, pick something that's going to mean something to you. And that, I think transformed my um, my outlook. So it's gone from just an entertainment piece to something that I seek out when when I'm looking for a certain experience or looking to understand the world in a different way. Well, I think that's smart because if you're going to choose something, as you said earlier, quality over quantity, right? Mm-hmm. If you are going to devote those number of hours, I think that's a very considerate way to look at it. People who just grab something, they don't know what they're taking. Well, we wouldn't do that with food. We wouldn't do that with other things. So <laughs> exactly. why would we do that with books? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And um, actually, I mean, that's a good segue. So I had a couple of fiction in mind and a couple of nonfiction that I really love that I thought I would yes, share. Tell me. And so if you're interested in food, there is a nonfiction called The Dorito Effect. Um, the author is Mark Schotzker. The Dorito effect, like the chips. And the premise of this book, if I remember correct, it starts out with the boardroom where like Fritos came to be. You know, someone saying, you know, Joe, we got all this corn. We can't, we can't market this corn. We need to figure out something to do with it. So what if we make a a chip that tastes like tacos, right? I just, and, and this was just this absurd concept at that time because food was meant to taste like the ingredient that it was. And, and right. if you're going to eat potatoes, they should taste like delicious potatoes. And it really traces the evolution of food processing and how that has affected what's on our plate today. So a perfect example, and it's not all bad stuff. You know, it, it's not all, um, it's not all something that, that we should be really concerned about, but I think we should be thoughtful. We should engage in that discourse as as a community or as a society and say, what do we value when it comes to food? So is it more important for us to have these spotless, 
bright, bright red tomatoes that are all the exact same flawless shape? Or is it more important to us to have a delicious and, and nutritious tomato? Because the trade-off has been made, right? We can go back the other way, but, but you have to choose that. It's a vote with your dollars and you have to put pressure on the places where you're purchasing to make sure they understand this is something you want again. So True. it's, it's kind of like, um, a little bit of food science, um, a lot of discussion of flavor and, you know, how some of these, um, how some of these different interactions between the chemistry and the biology of food come into play. But really it's, it's like a, a play by play of how we got here and maybe how we can get back to more meaningful food and, and a better relationship with food in North America, especially. I think our relationship with food is pretty bizarre it's all over the place right it really is there there are some people who are are so um they're so dedicated to crisp flavors and locally sourced and all of these these beautiful terms and they know what they're doing and they're passionate about it then you get somebody who says oh my gosh the hot dog at that 7-eleven is the best thing i've ever had and they will get that every darn time yeah Right, like yep. to to me, it's the the pendulum for this is so all over the place, totally. and we're I, I don't know. I mean, if you go with what just tastes good, that's not a good indicator <laughs> because <laughs> you can well, make the, anything taste like whatever you want. There are multi billion dollar laboratories set up to make things taste good, you know, through artificial means, and and most of us realize that now, right? And and again, I mean, Muleys in in all truth is a food processor. We are processing food. We're taking it mm -hmm. from its raw natural form and turning it into something else. So that's mm -hmm. not a dirty word, but what we're missing is the critical thinking or the maybe the deeper understanding of some of these processes and some of these ingredients to really make an informed choice for ourselves. True. So that's something that we hope to accomplish. Um, I guess both of the, the businesses that I'm involved in now and just the general movements that that you'll see when you walk through the farmer's market or you walk through a local grocery store. Mm -hmm. And that one's called the Dorito effect. The Dorito effect. Yeah. And okay. it, yeah, I read it years ago, but I think about it a lot. I bring it up in a lot of conversations and, and I actually thought of it for this because of my kind of journey with books. It's like, you're just going from this kind of mindless consumption. Like, okay, well, you know, Steaks always taste good for me, so I'll just always eat steak or whatever. Like I've never, I've never been steered wrong with um, a generic murder mystery, so I'll just keep reading those. And so, yeah. th if that's truly what you love, then there's nothing wrong with that. But if we made more conscious choices, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you spent a little bit more and went to the farmers market and got those extremely fresh heritage breed vegetables you will just have a completely different experience than you've ever had before. And if you try it and it's just, it's not for you, it's not your priority. You know, no one should be able to tell you that you're wrong, but mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully you have all the facts when you're making that kind of decision. Well, I'm hungry. Uh, talk, <laughs> the talk about the heritage. <laughs> yeah. I, I want those market vegetables. Bring it yeah. on. Bring yeah. it on. Every Thursday. Yeah. I, I'll be there. What other book do you have to tell us about? So I, I, there's another one related to food that um, that I really love. And it's The 100 Foot Journey. So they made a film of it, right? This is maybe I've like read 10, that one. 10 years old or so. And uh, at the time I was actually, I was working as a cook and I was in a relationship with someone who was working as a baker. And that kind of follows, if I remember correctly, kind of follows the premise of the story. So Someone had recommended it to me for that reason, and I had never heard of it. But it's just its just a really nice, you know, it's, it's fairly short, it's a beautiful novel about what cooking means to those who do it. You know, what what it's all about, what drives us to do what we do. And That's a really good summary. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> that, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's, you know, it, it's like a beautiful kind of lighthearted romance. Um, there's the story of, of the immigrant experience embedded in there. Uh, but all of it is, is done in a fairly lighthearted fashion, I think. And so it's very easy to just get drawn into these other beautiful elements of the story. But for me, 
I was reading it at a point where I was working, you know, 60 hour weeks in a 40 degree kitchen, get, you know, sacrificing the time with my loved ones, sacrificing my hobbies and some of those things because of this passion to cook. And I think the book helped me reflect and be a little bit more mindful of why I had this passion. Where did it come from? What is it? What's it all about? And for some people, it's about the ingredients, right? Like we were just talking mm-hmm. about. It's just, yeah. you know, maybe they really understand the science and and how the, the environment and the climate and all of the terroir comes into play with the ingredients. And maybe that's what drives them. And for some of us, um, myself included, it's, just, it's the idea of hospitality. And, you know, you you work in, in retail and customer service and, and you know this, you you are an expert at this. When someone comes into your establishment, your entire purpose, your job is to give them an incredible experience. And whether they're, whether they're looking for a book recommendation or just a great shopping experience or whether they're celebrating their anniversary or, or whatever that is, they're entrusting you. And it's just like, it's, it's such a incredible opportunity and such a compliment to be given that power mm-hmm. and to be able to make someone's day. And when I started cooking at the age of 14 at Boston Pizza, I can't say this was going through my mind. Um, I thought kitchens were exciting. There's sharp knives, there's fire, you know, there's, there's people <laughs> in these fancy starched uniforms and it just all seemed very exciting, very adventurous. And it was paying $3 an hour more than minimum wage as a 14 year old. So there was that going for it. And as I got into it, I just started to learn more about myself and more about the work. And, and recognize what my passion was. And I kind of saw this growth and this experience in the protagonist of uh, The 100 Foot Journey. And also in who I would say is, is like the anti-hero of the story, who's this, um, this older French woman who runs this Michelin star restaurant mm-hmm. and is like this gatekeeper and is unwilling to share her secrets and all of that. And, you know, you're kind of given a certain perception of her at the beginning of the novel. And by the end, you just really understand that she just has so, so much passion for the art and the craft of it. And she's afraid to see that fall into the wrong hands. She needs to know that, you know, you're in it for the right reasons. And uh, that's a super common thing in our industry. Like There are a lot of chefs out there who, who will not give you tips, will not share recipes. Um, don't they don't try to mentor people and it's all kind of you know tied up in this um, this culture and this elitism but I just thought this novel kind of broke that down in a really beautiful way yeah that was a good one I remember reading that quickly you're right because it's not it's not a thick book but I did get sucked right in yeah it did also make me very hungry I love a I love a book that talks about food in a way that is so respectful yeah. and opens your eyes to different combinations or different sources of that. Or mm-hmm. you think there's only one kind of, of tomato or oh no, here's all the other kinds we're talking. Like that kind of a thing, I think that just gives us a bigger vision for something we take for granted, which is, oh, yeah. oh I'm gonna open my fridge and just get whatever's in there. But what if? What if there are foods and tastes that you don't even know about? And this book is talking about them in a way that is so appealing. Mm-hmm. Oh, salivating a little bit. So that book reminds me of, have you ever read Under the Tuscan Sun? I haven't. Um, I, I, I feel like I can, like they made a film of it, right? They um, did. I can, yeah. I can picture the, the DVD cover and, <laughs> so- and I feel like I kind of know the premise, but I haven't read it yet. So I should add that to it. That book created a similar feeling for me about food and the respect that these old cultures had in Italy about food. And here we're like, oh, we'll just put some pasta and, you know, whatever yeah. on a plate with some red sauce and we'll call it a day. But there it's a whole experience. And then the sitting down and enjoying the food. It wasn't just right. the creating of the food, but that community around however long it takes we're here for the long haul. Yeah. We're going to go through as many bottles of wine as it takes and we're going to love every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's an I love that. It's a journey, and you don't. Yeah, you don't rush it, and you know Europeans eat very late at night. Like it's, it's a central part of the day. It's not an afterthought like it is in our culture. Yeah, we have a very limited drive-through exposure, 
to yeah. what eating looks like. It's yeah. it's unfortunate. If only we could have all the time to sit and have a <laughs> a really good Tuscan meal. I wish. So, Peter, are you ready to do the rapid fire thirty? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Okay, here we go. I have some notes. Let me find them. Let's go for it. <laughs> we'll use your cheat sheet. Who is an author that you would most like to have a drink with? Uh, very topical. It would have to be Anthony Bourdain. Perfect. I, you know, I'm, I'm very sad that we'll never get the chance. Which fictional world or time period would you like to spend a weekend in? I think Great Gatsby, 1920s. If it's just going to be a weekend and there's no consequences. Sounds like fun. Excellent. Name a book that changed how you see the world. It would have to be Sapiens. Uh, what's the author's name? Yuval Noah Harari. Sapiens, Harari yeah. Sapiens just expanded my mind. What is a book that broke your heart? Angela's Ashes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so glad I read it. Of course, yeah. If the story of your life were made into a film, who would play you? Young Tom Hanks. Uh, like like 30 years ago, Tom Hanks. Or his son, Colin. Either one would work. Perfect. What's a book that did not live up to its hype? On the Road. By Jack Kerouac, I hated it. I thought it was awful. <laughs> I just didn't understand. I didn't get it. I've never read that one. What book has been on your TBR the longest? Uh, Death in the Afternoon by Hemingway. It's been at least 10 years on my shelf. <laughs> what would the title of your biography be? It would be, quote, at the end of the day, because I say this phrase way too often, and someone pointed out to me recently, but it's kind of fitting for biography. So at the end of the day. Perfect. What is a favorite screen adaptation? Another food one. It's Sweet Bitter, the novels by Stephanie uh, Danler, and they made two seasons of it. It was a beautiful, beautiful novel and a great show. Hmm. Last book you stopped reading. A lot of food stuff. It was called The Chef by James Patterson. <laughs> and uh, I'll just say the premise was this detective ran a food truck at night. And uh, just the fact that someone thought that would even be possible, a full-time detective running a food truck, I just I couldn't get into it. <laughs> oh no, that one is not, not plausible. Let's do some research, guys. Yeah, please. Please. Last book that you bought. Uh, I bought it from your store, and I can't wait to read it, The Song of Achilles. Oh, okay. Well, when you have read that one, let me know what you think. I will, absolutely. Oh, that book. Um, the last book someone gave you. The last book someone gave me was Butter Honey Pig Bread. I don't have the author's name. I'm sure you know the one. It just came out. I do. Recently. I do. That was one of the Canada Reads picks. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to read that one. Last book you reread? I think it was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I, and this would have been a long time ago. It just shows how my reading has changed. But I think I was on vacation and it was there and I needed something. Yeah, perfect. The last book you suggested to someone? Good to Great by Jim Collins. Teaching a business oh, class. Oh, classic book. Yeah. Great book. Honestly, anybody who's an entrepreneur has to be reading that book. And and so approachable as well. Such an easy read. Yeah, it is. What was the last book that you posted a picture of? It was, and, and this just feels so important right now, it was The Inconvenient Indian by Thomas King. And I posted Perfect. it on Instagram that I was starting it on Canada Day last year. And uh, you know, I feel like I should almost reread it again, just with everything that's, that's come to light recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a book that I think should be standard reading for, uh, honestly, any Canadian. Definitely. Really. Yeah. What book are you reading right now? I just started Trap Lines by Eden Robinson, another um, great Canadian author. Mm -hmm. A couple of pages in, so I don't have anything to say about it yet. Okay. What is the next book you can't wait to start? Uh, another Canadian Indigenous author, Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead. I put that on my shelf, and I just I've heard amazing things about it. I'm really looking forward to starting.
That's the book that won Canada Reads. Oh, did it win? I hadn't followed. Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. Okay. Yeah. All the more reason. I'm excited. What, or oh, sorry, who's the best literary villain? I have to do a tie between Aunt Lydia and Cersei Lannister. Okay, yes. Okay, you got two good ones. Oh, Aunt Lydia just freaks me out. Name a book that meant a lot to you as a child. The Hobbit. I'm sure I'm sure my dad read it to us three times. Did he? Start to back, nice. yeah. I just love that book. Ebook or tree book? Always tree. Always. Borrow or buy? I buy. And like I said, I, I've never experienced buyer's remorse. It's the one thing, you know? Nope. Weirdest thing you've ever used as a bookmark? Uh, a beer coaster from from a pub in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite place to read? For me, it's in a hammock beside the ocean. Both parts are very important. But I okay. just love the, the sound of waves crashing as I'm reading a book. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> a book you loaned out and never got back. It was called Letters to a Young Chef by uh, Daniel Belude. It's a sort of a part part memoir, part kind of advice book. A book you borrowed and never returned? Another food one. It's called Molecular Gastronomy. Uh, Scott, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'll get it to you one day. It's been at least 10 years. <laughs> How do you track your reading? I use Goodreads. I've been really getting into it. Mm -hmm. What is the thickest book on your shelf? I have all three Lord of the Rings in one hardcover. This thing is like 25 pounds. 25 pounds. Oh my god. Okay. What is your favorite word? It's a Dutch word. It's The word is lekker and it kind of means like delicious. Like if people are enjoying something they're eating, they'll say, mmm, lekker. So, you know, when I see that, it'll be in like in a brand or something, and I'll just know that those people are Dutch, and, and I'm Dutch, and it's just exciting. So it's a great word. <laughs> what do you drink while you're reading? Maybe not today when it's 30 degrees, but I love a, a good green tea while I'm reading. And how many books did you read last year? I counted 15 last year. Nice. There you go. You just did your rapid fire 30. Wow. All right. <laughs> I know. Look at that. Peter, thank you so much for spending time with us and for telling us more about your food history and all of the ways that reading has impacted your life and changed over time. Thank you as well for all that you're doing with the public and muleys and the market. Cause honestly, contributions like yours are what makes it amazing. So Keep doing it because we need you to keep doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brandy. It's such a pleasure to be part of this. As mentioned, you will be hearing more about Peter's sister, author Ellen Keith, here on this podcast. So stay tuned. Okay. I love talking about the 124th Street Market and I love the 124th Street Market community. The folks who run it are the best. I have worked at many markets throughout Central Alberta, and there is no team quite like this group. They are rich in community, opportunity, and support. I can't say enough about how much I love these people, and I miss them every single market day. And then we have another day of crazy weather here in Edmonton, and I'm grateful that I am tucked away nicely in my cozy little bookshop. Okay, if you could actually see the behind the scenes of this recording right now. So I had to take a break to help my daughter, Sydney, who broke her fibula, deal with her boot cast, and that was a whole thing. Then the wind started and it rushed against my window so fiercely that was all I could hear. So I had to re-record. <laughs> then I spent three minutes looking for my glasses, which were... Yes, on the top of my head. What is going on with this day? That's all I need to say. Oh my gosh, do you ever have days like this? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. So at the bookstore, we have a frenzy of activity right now. Is that a thing? A frenzy of activity? Well, whatever. Anyway, we have a lot of things going on right now. So we have just relaunched our book clubs, which will start at the end of June, which that is so much fun. I cannot wait to see all of my book clubber faces. Seriously. Oh, I've missed you all so much. 
And we are also organizing the hosting for other book clubs to have their book clubs in the bookstore after store hours. So that scheduling is happening because let's admit it, we don't always want to clean our house and have people over. We're pandemic people. We're used to just hanging out in our own mess in our elastic pants and our messy buns, right? Like, come on. The idea of cleaning our house for company, that is so 2020. So we are not ready for that. We are opening the store so other book clubs can come in, use our space, enjoy themselves, and then go home. And they don't ever have to worry about impressing anybody with their space or cooking for company or anything like that. It is awesome. So that is also happening. And our Pebble Club, which is our monthly book subscription, has really taken off. And we are preparing to have a Pedal Club party. Yes, membership has its privileges, y'all. So that is exciting. And oh my gosh, of course there's something more. You know there's something more. I have just announced that our next buddy read is going to be We Begin at the End with by Chris Whitaker. So, so super psyched to share this book with you guys. I cannot wait to read along, hear your thoughts, get your questions, have some really good conversation about this. It is such a good book. I cannot wait to share it with you. Another fun thing is I asked the author if he would like to be a part of our digital conversation, probably through an Instagram live discussion. He said yes. The man said, yes, I am psyched. I'm over the moon. I cannot wait to get the author's perspective on this story, on the incredible character of Duchess. It is going to be the bomb, you guys. We begin at the end by Chris Whitaker. Join us for this buddy read. All the information is going to be available on the website. Ah, I'm so excited. Okay, so the wind is howling outside. I think I better lock this down before I get taken away like Dorothy going to Oz. Next episode, we are going to be talking books, books, books. I have so many things to tell you, so many things to share with you. It's going to be awesome. But for now, you know what I'm going to say. Be relevant, be generous, and be unforgettable. Because whether you read about something amazing or you do something amazing, everything you contribute to the world matters. I am for you. Go get him, and may your reading life be extraordinary. Bye.